Let's continue in the book of Philippians. Return to Philippians chapter 3, please. We've gone through the third chapter of Philippians. We now come to a, a section where Paul uses reference to the Greek games. And that would have been familiar with the culture of the time. Now, they enjoyed many games, boxing, discus throwing, racing. And so the recipients of this letter, the church at Philippi, would have been very familiar with foot races. Okay, And he uses this race to make a point in this passage. So the race was set up in the stadium. And just as today, runners had to run a specific course and follow the rules, or they would be disqualified, so it was then, okay? And there was a reward at the end of the race. Each runner was striving for victory. Now, back in the olden days, you used to re reward just the winners. It wasn't a participation trophy for everybody, okay? And so that's how it was back then. It wasn't participation trophies for everybody. It was actually the winner would get crowned. Now keep this in mind then as we look at these verses this morning, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, Paul writes, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend for that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I want us to see three things in this passage. First, we must follow the course. We must follow the course. Secondly, we need to focus on the end. And then lastly, we must finish well. So follow the course, focus on the end, and finish well. The Christian life can be likened to a race, and you and I need to run the race well. You know, you go back and you look at history, you don't ever remember who all started the race. If you remember anything about the race at all, is who won the race. And so you and I need to run in such a way that we can finish well. Father, again, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I pray again, Father, that you give us wisdom as we examine this passage and help us, Lord, to run our race well. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. The thing with our race is we haven't finished yet. We haven't finished yet. Paul says, I've not as though I had already attained, either already perfect. He says, I didn't already attain. In other words, I've not arrived at the goal. You know, if you're not at the goal and you quit, you quit too early. So you and I have to continue in the race all the way to the end until either Jesus Christ comes back to take us in the rapture or we die physically. That will be the end of our race, but not until. And so many times people get weary in the race and they want to quit. There's nothing wrong with taking a break and taking a vacation or something along those lines, but to quit on God is wrong. So, unlike the teaching that was even in the early church, and some still think it already has, the rapture has not yet occurred. The rapture has not yet occurred. So we're not done our race. We will know Christ fully someday, but we're not there yet. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, 
Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So Paul says, not only have we not attained, but we're not already perfect. I have met those that believe and teach that you can reach sinless perfection here on earth. That is not what the Bible teaches. Now, we can become more Christ-like, and we are to become more Christ-like. We're to be sanctified, growing more Christ-like day by day, but we will never reach sinless perfection. As I said just the other week, you know, I've never met anybody who is so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. We still have the old nature, don't we? And it still wars against the new nature. Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You know, I find many times people who say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this sin, I'm struggling with this, and you ask them about how much time are you spending in the Word? How much time are you praying? How faithful you are to church? And you find that they're not in those things. And, and, you gotta, and I try to remind them that what you're feeding is what's going to grow. If you're constantly feeding the flesh, that's what's going to continue to take control. You've got to feed the new man. So Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after. Has the idea of striving for, striving for to finish. Now I'm sure most in here have run at one point in their life. In the Navy, they used to make us run. And then when I was with the Marines, they called it fun runs. Never understood that. But anyhow, the idea was to strive to get to the end. But you know, for big races, there's rules in which they got to follow, right? So a marathon runner has to follow the course that's set before him, right? He can't find shortcuts and say, ah, look, I won the race because they would be disqualified. Now, I'm sure most runners, if they were setting the course, would have it going gently downhill the whole way, right? That's probably, but the that, ones who set the course don't do that. Neither has God set our course, this perfect level life, or a all downhill life. But there are times when there's mountains to climb, and there's times when there's valleys to go through, and there's times when but the point being is God has set the course for your life. Our responsibility is to follow it and stay on course. Don't look for shortcuts. Don't look for the easy way out. But we live in such a pampered society that that is our, our, our natural tendency to want to look for the easy way. Sometimes God's way is not the easy way. But what he's trying to teach us in those times is that his grace is sufficient, that he will be there for us, that he is going to carry us through. And so in those times, instead of complaining to God, why is my life not easy? Why don't we rather learn to trust him and rest in him and realize he's going to provide? Think of this. When you pass a test in life, you know what God's going to do? Give you another one. And many times the next one is harder than the last one because he's trying to help you grow. It's not that God is a mean ogre trying to make your life miserable, but he wants your faith to increase. He wants your, your trust in him to increase. And so, yes, the trials of life tend to get harder. 
But may I say, Christian, when we trust Him in those, we grow closer to Him. And many times we grow in the trials in a way that we can never grow without the trials. So let's be thankful in all things, even the trials. And realize this is part of the course that God has laid for me. Here's one way to look at it, and, and, and be careful with this because you don't want it to look, you know, to be a selfish motive, okay? But God has promised he's never going to give you more than you're able to bear. So if, as the burdens get harder, as the trials get harder, realize that means your faith has been increasing to where God has entrusted you with a harder trial. Of course, as we saw in Hebrews 12.1, we need to eliminate the extra weights so that we can run the race. Then Paul says at the end of the verse, If that I may apprehend that for which I am also, uh, also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, if you've ever trained to run, if I were to start running right now, the first time I go running, I would half die. And then the second time, I would want to die. The third time, I still would be like, why am I doing this? But after several weeks, your body starts to condition. You start, it starts to get a little bit easier. The, the endurance increases. Your run times get better. You, but it takes work and pain and suffering to get there, does it not? So if Paul is likening the Christian life to a race, those who run the race didn't just decide one day, I think I'm going to sign up for the race this weekend and I'm, I think I'll have a great chance of winning. They've been training for a long time to get to that point. So you and I, if you will, need to be training in our Christian life, which means it takes effort, which means there's times of suffering, which means there's pain that goes along with it. Remember, Paul is imprisoned while he's writing this. He's imprisoned for the cause of Christ. That's what he means when he writes there, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's in jail because of the cause of Christ. But do we find Paul complaining, saying, I can't believe this. Here I am trying to serve God. I'm doing the right thing, and God doesn't care. He allowed me to be in prison. And so you know what? You should just quit on God. I'm glad that wasn't the attitude of the Apostle Paul, aren't you? But yet too often that is the attitude of Christians. Well, God didn't do it my way, so I'm just going to quit on God. God doesn't have to do it your way. His way is better. He knows the right way. And so what we need to do is submit our will to his. Now, if Paul had his choice, if he were standing here today and I said, Paul, if you had your choice, would have you sat in jail? He'd be like, no, of course not. Okay. It wasn't his choice, but it's where God put him. Are we willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? You know, I hear people, I don't want to knock on that door because I might offend somebody. Somebody might call me a Jesus freak. What if they don't like me? What if this? What if that? What if the other thing? You know, I'll be persecuted. Let me tell you something. I don't believe we understand the definition of persecution in 21st century America. Somebody looked at me cross-eyed. Somebody called me a Jesus freak. That's not persecution. We're talking people who went to jail, people who were killed for the faith. Folks, you look at some of the tortures that some people have gone through because of their faith in Jesus Christ, that's persecution. And we better take 
advantage, if I could use that term, of the opportunity and the freedom we have to preach the gospel freely while we still have the opportunity here in the United States of America. And just because somebody makes fun of you or somebody calls you a Jesus freak, they treated our Savior a whole lot worse. And here Paul is in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet he's still trying to encourage others. Matter of fact, I honestly believe one of the most encouraging books in all the New Testament is the book of Philippians, written while this man sitting in jail. That's pretty amazing, is it not? When I first came here in 2008, the church was very discouraged. There had been a church split. I was a brand new first church I ever pastored. I was here as interim. There was a lot of issues that had happened that there really was no trust. People would come right before church service would start, and as soon as amen was said, they all jetted for the door. There was no fellowship with one another. It was just a real bad bad situation. Am I exaggerating? So when I started praying about God, what would you have me preach to these folks? The first book I preached through was the book of Philippians. You know why? Because there was a lot of hurt people who needed encouragement. And you know what I noticed by the time we got to the end of the book of Philippians? People were starting to smile a little bit more. People were starting to communicate with each other a little bit more. It took a while to people really started to fellowship and whatnot, and, and trust was built again and, and things of that nature. But I believe the book of Philippians was a great healing book for this church at that time. And again, I want you to think, written by a man sitting in prison. That's pretty amazing to me. So Paul says, follow the course. Then secondly, focus on the end. Verse 13, brethren, talking to Christians, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are beforeth. This one thing I do, he says, I forget the past and move on with the future. Now, Paul truly didn't truly forget the past. See, how do you know that? Because as he would give his testimony, which is given several times throughout the book of Acts, he always would say, this is what I once was. But he always emphasized, that's what I was. This is what I now am. And even as he writes young Timothy, he says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Because he never lost the fact that before he was saved, he was a persecutor of the church. He never lost fact of that, but he never let that stop him in the race because that was the past. He can't change it. And so while he had that as a reminder of what he once was, he never allowed it to defeat him and what he had to do. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, because sometimes Satan likes to bring up the past and say, but you used to do this. You want to, you, how could you ever claim to be a child of God when th this is what the life you used to live? But you need to remember and say, that's what I once was. I am no longer that. But we also remember what we were saved from or saved out of so that we can remember, wow, what love God has displayed on me, what mercy and, and grace God has given to me. 
But it also bothers me some who go back to that past and they talk about it as though those were the good old days. Kind of like Egypt, as they're going through the wilderness, complaining to Moses, Moses, we missed those good old days when we used to sit by the flesh pots and we used to eat cucumbers and garlic and leeks and all that stuff. Man, Moses, those were the good old days and you bring us out here to the wilderness just to die. I am glad I wasn't Moses. I would be like, turn around a minute and take that shirt off. Oh, yeah, that's right. Remember those stripes on your back? How have you forgotten that? The good old days back in Egypt. You know, Egypt pictures the world, and we do the exact same thing sometimes. As we, well, back in the good old days, when I was, you know, used to blah, 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 blah. No, you forget the pain the path of sin, the path of death that sin led you on, and you look at back at it as though it's the best thing, but it's not. And we need to be careful because I've heard too many who glamorize the past. The past wickedness does not need to be glamorized. Amen? It would have been a whole lot better if Israel would have been sitting there. All right, Moses, this is tough. We're not going to lie to you. And we're having a hard time trusting God right now, but I'll tell you, where we're at is still better than the beatings we used to get back in Egypt. But they've forgotten all about the beatings. All they remembered is sitting there eating. But we cannot have a focus on earthly things and heavenly things at the same time. Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we need to remain focused on Christ. Going back to what we looked at last week in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. Notice the whole verse is all about Christ. Our whole going life needs to be Jesus Christ and him glorified. So as they were running in the Greek games, there would be the stadium set up. And if it were a shorter run, not the long marathon, but even after they'd entered the stadium after running a marathon, there would be a pillar at the far end of the stadium. On that pillar would be the Bema seat. It was the judgment seat. It was the seat where the judge who was going to determine who won this race would sit. And as they were running the race, you know what their focus was? Focusing on that judgment seat. Focusing on getting to that finish line and running this race so that the judge would say, well done, and crown him with the crown. So your my focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. Because you and I are going to stand before him someday, are we not? And he is going to be sitting on that judgment seat of Christ. The same illustration being used, the Bema seat of Christ, that seat where he's going to reward us According to what we have done, according to our race, he's going to reward us. And that needs to be our focus. Christian, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to take our eyes off the temporal of this world and focus on Jesus Christ. You know, there's many things in this world that can distract us. Many things in this world that we would like to have. Let me tell you something. Things will never buy happiness. Things will never buy happiness. Oh, if I only had. Well, let me tell you something. If you had it, you would still want bigger, better. I can't believe the price of things nowadays. We have 
in our house a love seat that's from Goodwill, and it's seen as better days. So I thought, well, maybe for Christmas I'll get Susan a new love seat. Then I went and priced the love seats. I'm heading back to Goodwill. I'm telling you right now. Whew! The things in this world don't matter that much, okay? As we're running, don't look back. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You can't go back and undo the past. You can't change anything in the past. Yesterday is already done. But you can change from this day forward. You know, if you're running a race and looking back, you're going to be all over the place. Again, my dad had five acres and we did a little bit of gardening. I'll call it somewhat farming. So most times he was the one driving the tractor with the plow. One time I actually did get to drive the tractor. When you're plowing that row, I found something out. Plow back there, and like I told you before, it was a horse-drawn plow, but we hooked it to a tractor, okay? Whoever's doing their thing back there is going to do what they need to do. My focus had to be on keeping the tractor straight to go down that row. Because otherwise, Dad was not so happy sometimes. <laughs> what is that? Um... It's a row, kind of. <laughs> you know, even when kids start to drive, right? You teach them to keep their eyes on the road because kids are like, oh, what is that? Or what is that, right? And, and the way their eyes go, so does the steering wheel. And parents that have had to teach their kids how to drive, praise God, we all made it through it. Whew. But sometimes you're like, eyes on the road, <laughs> right? Okay, so it is, you and I need to stop looking back, stop looking off to the side, and keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep our eyes on the prize, if you will. Because when we start to look to the side, or we look back, we're going to drift off course. So stay focused. And that's what Paul's saying. Forget those things are behind you're not going to change them. Do not live in the defeat of the past. Paul had a terrible past, but he lived with victory. And then he says, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, has the idea of stretching out. You know, when we would do our runs, now the Navy required a mile and a half. You had these guys with these, first of all, they stood about yay tall, and their legs were about yay tall. And so I'm going to short guy. I'm shorter, a little bit shorter, but I got these really tiny, short, stubby limbs. And so I felt for every step they were taking, I had to take two steps. And these guys just bounding, you know, like, like their springs on their feet and just boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> you know, trying to get it going. And it's horrible. You don't want to see me run. It's bad. But they're stretching it out. And that's something they used to yell at us. Stretch it out. I'm trying. Stretch it out more. Why? Because you're supposed to give it everything you got to get across that finish line. Those that have run, when you are doing a longer run, when you finally see that finish line, it gives you a little motivation to give everything you have left just to get across that line, doesn't it? In theory. <laughs> 
<laughs> Anyhow, <clears throat> I had a guy who was asthmatic and I was running with him. He says, you wheeze worse than I do. <laughs> okay. So it should be in our Christian life. I don't know how much longer the race is. Because if the trumpet were to sound, I don't see, if you will, physically, that fi finish line there. But may I say, I should live every day as though this could be the day Jesus Christ comes back. So I should be stretching it out today. I should be stretching it out if God gives me tomorrow. I should be focusing on the race every day and giving it 100% every day. That's what Paul was saying. Live every day as though today could be the day. Today you could be crossing the finish line because you know what? Today could be the day. Then he says, I press toward the mark. Again, that goal. Living with eternity's values in view. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Don't worry about the temporal things of this world. Worry about the eternal things. Don't set your affections on things of today. Set your affections on what really matters in life. The eternal. You know, when you leave this world, you're not taking the things of this world with you. There's a song, what's better than going to heaven is taking someone with you, something like that. Imagine going to heaven and there being other people in heaven because you shared the gospel with them and had the opportunity to lead them to Christ. Now, Again, it's nothing we've done other than making the introductions, right? But isn't, wouldn't it be nice that they're there because you took the time to show the love of God to them and, and, and explain to them the way of salvation? Strive as though this is the end of the race. James tells us, Whereas you know not what be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time to vanisheth away. So train yourself and live a disciplined life. An athlete... In these Greek games, trained a minimum of 10 months. Now, for the Olympics, they train for literally years. That's amazing, isn't it? Training for years to get a little gold medal put around their neck. You know what's worse? These guys train to get an olive branch leaf wreath or whatever put on their head. It's like, really? <laughs> That's it? But the rigors of training requires much discipline. So you and I, Christian, need to be disciplined in our Christian life. There needs to be discipline. Discipline is something that is becoming more and more sparse in our society today. It is amazing to me, you know, there was a day when if you were consistently late to work, you'd just get fired. There was a day when if you didn't do an acceptable job at work after a warning or two, they'd say, you're done. There was, I believe, a day when people would discipline themselves. Now, there's always been speeders on the highway, and there's always been aggressive drivers on the highway, but they weren't the norm. Now, it's just like everybody is just so aggressive. If you're driving normal, you're abnormal. It seems like in every aspect of life, we are losing discipline. But Christian, you and I, need to be disciplined as we think of focusing on the end. So we're to follow the course, focus on the end, and number three, finish well. 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, as I already just mentioned, the prize for the athlete was a crown of wild olive branches. So, Ed, we're, we live in Greek times. You've trained for at least 10 months, probably more, to win this race. And then when you get to the end of the race, the judge comes and takes this wild, wild olive branches woven into like a crown and sticks it on your head. And now you get bragging rights because you won the olive branch thing that's going to fade in just a couple days. Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, at least today we give gold, silver, and bronze. Seems a little bit better than olive branches, but that's what they actually ran for was an olive branch crown. But it gave an excellent comparison that Paul is going to use to the eternal crowns that we can have in heaven that are incorruptible. Because, you know, even the medals we give today, gold and silver and bronze, anybody have an old piece of silver? Yeah, what's it done? It oxidized, right? It tarnished, yes. And gold, even though it usually takes a little longer, will also tarnish after time, you know, and get, lose its luster and whatnot. Okay, so, but we're talking rewards in heaven that are incorruptible. Now, just as Ed's olive branch thing would probably die in a few weeks, so he would either, you know, dry it out and hang it in the wall, and everybody come by and say, that's nice, Ed, wow, that's great. But he really couldn't continue to wear it because it would literally fall apart, right? You and I, when we get to heaven, are not going to keep the rewards that are given to us. It's not like I'm going to be sitting there in my house and have my trophies hanging on the wall so when you all come over, I can have my I love me wall and tell you how great I was back on earth. Okay? That's not how it's going to work. But all the rewards that we get, we're going to lay them back at Jesus' feet. You know why? Because we're going to realize it wasn't me who deserves this. I didn't do anything to deserve this. It was his power working through me. He's the one that deserves it. And all the glory goes back to him. That, by the way, is what's going to make heaven a wonderful place because it's not going to be like when I go to Al's house and see his big I love me wall and, and feel embarrassed because mine's smaller, but mine's bigger than, than, I'll use Shannon, Shannon's. And so, you know, when Shannon comes over, I brag about how much more I did than her. You know, that's not the way heaven's going to be. Aren't you glad it's not? Because it's not going to be about I love me. It's all going to be about I love Jesus. And he's the one who deserves all the glory. 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now I am glad, as I said before, the Greek games didn't give participation trophies. But I'm glad in, in the accounting of Jesus Christ that he doesn't have, it's not just one winner like the Greek games would be. But he takes and evaluates you on your race and your faithfulness to your race. Therefore, everybody has the same opportunity to win or to be rewarded the same rewards in heaven according to your faithfulness to your race. Now, I emphasize that because too often... There are those busybodies who are worried about everybody else's race and not their own. And they're so focused on what somebody else is or is not doing when they're not paying attention to their own walk with God. How about we focus on being faithful 
in my life. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time when we should not help restore a brother or sister who is fallen away from Christ, okay? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying in the process, I need to be focused on my race, my course that God has set for me because I am accountable for my faithfulness to him. And I am glad Jesus will reward our faithfulness to him. You know, in the parable of the talents, one got five, one got two, one got one. The five and the two got the same reward. Why? Because it wasn't, it was their faithfulness with what God had given them is what mattered. So I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, the high calling, the upward calling. Keep your focus on eternity and what is truly important. You see, when you're running, you don't sit there and watch your feet. Because if you watch your feet, what's going to happen? You're going to trip over something, right? Because you're going to end up going off course and tripping on something. So when you're running, you keep your head up and you focus on the finish line, where you're going. And so it is in our Christian life. Stop focusing on my feet, focusing on now, focusing on the temporal, focus on the end and run the race well. Finish well. Finish your race well. If the trumpet were to sound today and the race would be over, could you say, I have run my course? If you evaluate your life and say, you know what, that's really not true, then Christian, can I say, today's the day. You can't go back and undo the past, but you can make a choice. Today, starting today, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful in church. I'm going to be faithful in my Bible study. I'm going to be faithful in praying. I'm going to be faithful to whatever it is. You can make the choice today. I'm going to be a faithful witness starting today. And when Jesus Christ comes, keep your eyes on him. And when he comes, he will reward you according to your faithfulness.